Welcome to the Woe Podcast, where I get to talk about horses. Yes, friends, it's been a while since we've produced an episode, but we're back for this very special edition. Renee and I have been spending 2018 really enjoying our horses, and we've even had the privilege of traveling around the country. You know, last fall, Renee and I traveled to Durango, Colorado for the Best Horse Practices Summit. I was curious about what was going on this year, so I contacted my friend and organizer, Maddie Butcher. She joins us on the show today to tell us about what's happening with the event this year. She's even arranged to have one of the presenters, Rebecca Jimena Husted of Technical Large Animal Rescue, join us on the show. Rebecca's a great guest, and she's full of a lot of information about how you can not only prevent emergencies with your large animal, but how, in case they happen, you can increase their chances for survival. You're going to enjoy both interviews, I'm sure. Without any further ado, here's Maddie Butcher and Rebecca Jimena Husted on the Woe Podcast. Why attend this conference. And I would say we like to think this is the conference your horse would want you to attend because we pay particular attention to academic and arena matters that really can improve your horsemanship um, in a very tangible, meaningful way, rather than a conference that is so academic that you walk away with a headache. We feel that this is the kind of conference that will easily inspire you and will be easy for the average horse owner to grasp and to appreciate. And you were here last year, so you know that it is this wonderful blend of academic and practical horsemanship. You know, we want people to walk away after two and a half days just totally psyched to get back with their horses um, because they have so much, you know, meaningful knowledge to work on. And what guests do you have planned for this year? We are uh, just breaking out of the gates, we feel, with our keynote address um, by Dr. Temple Grandin, which I think almost everybody knows as being an incredible pioneer in the livestock industry, as well as in autism circles. Dr. Rebecca Jimenez-Husted, who you will hear from later, and Dr. Gerrit Hushman, who's coming over from Germany. And by the way, we have our Best Horse Practices Summit family, which includes uh, attendees, board members, presenters, and sponsors, hail from at least 23 states we're up to and four countries. We just got a booking, a couple coming from England. So Gerrit is from Germany, and we have folks from England coming, as well as Canada, Maine, New Hampshire, um, there dozen two dozen states. But to continue with the presenters, Dr. Steve Peters is another presenter who is back because with surveys we conducted, a number of presenters were really popular and attendees were very interested in what he has to offer, which is horse brain chemistry, horse brain anatomy. And Dr. Cheryl King is also back. She was very popular last year. She will speak on nutrition Wes Taylor, Amy Skinner, and Katrin Silva are our arena presenters, and uh, West is mostly a Mustang trainer, but he has worked for the last few years with Dr. Peters, and they are kind of collaborating uh, with a lot of science-oriented training techniques. Amy Skinner and Katrin Silva are also collaborating, 
and they are going to speak and ride on the English versus Western or specifically dressage versus Western divide and how, how actually that's not that wide and there's a lot of commonalities. One day they will ride fresh horses, fairly novice horses, and the next day they will ride uh, more finished horses. They'll ride English and Western and tie it all together. Uh, so we're super excited about our lineup. And again, this is a conference that you're going to blend some, for want of a better term, classroom work with under saddle work or arena work with actual horses. Is it going to be the similar format as last year where you learn in the morning and then everybody heads over to the arena to watch exactly. the demonstrations in the afternoon? That's right. So the Best Horse Practices Summit is that wonderful blend of classroom PowerPoint type presentations along with real practical horsemanship in the flesh, so to speak, mornings at the historic Strader Hotel at, in their theater where Dr. Grandin, Dr. Peters, uh, Dr. King, Dr. Hushman, and Dr. Jimenez Husted will give presentations, um, multimedia presentations over two days. And all afternoon we are at the La Plata County Fairgrounds Arena, um, which might sound not very intimate, but it actually is quite intimate because we've orchestrated the the grounds in such a way that everybody is quite close and the audience has every opportunity to ask questions and, and really that's as interactive as the morning sessions. Maddie, you've arranged to have us interview one of the presenters at this year's Best Horse Practices Summit. Rebecca Jimena-Husted is one of the principals of Technical Large Animal Rescue Incorporated. What made you choose her to be part of this year's Best Horse Practices Summit? I've known Rebecca for several years and actually trained in her Technical Large Animal Rescue program twice when I was living uh, in New England. And she is just a very compelling um, presenter and has a lot of practical information. I think we think of technical large animal emergency rescue as the stuff that uh, firefighters do. But really, Rebecca is bringing to this conference some great tools for your you know, private horse owner toolbox. So I'm super excited to have her. Well, great. Let's hear from Rebecca Husted. And when we get back, you can tell folks how they can attend this year's Best Horse Practices Summit in Durango, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Tell us a little bit about you and, and what exactly is Technical Large Animal Rescue? Well, interestingly, normally I'm working with veterinarians and firefighters and emergency responders because, honestly, they get the 911 calls for the people who, for whatever reason, have their horse upside down in a ditch or an overturned trailer on the interstate all of the things that with social media, we see them happening far more often than we ever thought happened before. And so over the years, I started working with Dr. Tomas Jimenez back in uh, 1995. Apparently, I'm a little older than I thought. And uh, <laughs> we started looking at how we could try to educate people better as to getting the animals out without hurting them. And a lot of that, as you know, comes down to behavior of the person, not so much the horse. The horse, if he could have left, he promised you he would have left and we wouldn't have this problem. But he's struggled and he's fought or he's trapped in a way that he just cannot get out. And so our 
our effort is to educate people how to do that in a safe manner for people, a safe manner for the animals, and um, how to make good decisions, especially working with firefighters on a scene, possibly very stressful scene on a on the side of the interstate or something, where um, you can make a difference in the animal's treatment um, if you sort of know a few basic things to do. Rebecca, you're part of the Best Horse Practices Summit that's happening in Durango. We were lucky enough to attend last year. What are you going to be talking on and how many seminars are you responsible for? I am speaking for one of the seminars and I'm going to be talking about some of these very simple things that horse owners particularly can do both prevention-wise and in an actual response, such as what do you do to solve some of the issues preparing for one of the worst things that can ever happen to a horse, which is a barn fire, as well as something as simple as how do I prepare my horse trailer to deal with the possibility of a wreck? How do I respond? What do I do? Do I get out of the vehicle? Do I call 911? What do I do? So some of it will be very, very simple steps. Some of it will be far more complicated. I think there'll be a little bit of something for everybody. Many people trailer their horses. What do you think are the some key items that's, that people need to carry with them at all times whenever they trailer their horse? Well, first of all, before they even put the horse in the trailer, they really need to make sure that they have an excellent maintenance of their vehicle because that's some of the worst situations that we see when trailer accidents happen. People tend to say, well, the trailer came loose. Well, it only comes loose for one reason, and that's lack of maintenance. My horse went through the floor. That's due to lack of maintenance. Uh, my brakes and, and electrical didn't work. That's lack of maintenance. So it's the first prevention thing that you can do. The second thing you can do on the scene is call 911 while you're setting out a set of the emergency reflectors and put on your own body one of those simple, reflective, god-awful looking orange or green um, things that the DOT workers wear. Right, right. Because the number of people that get hit on the side of the road just trying to respond to something as simple as a blown tire is ridiculous. Many, many people get hit on the side of the road. So before you even worry about the horse, you have to worry about yourself and making sure you're safe and other the people on the scene are safe, and then you worry about the horse. And that's really hard for those of us. It's easy to say, but hard to do for those of us that own horses and love them. Our tendency is to sort of get panicky and jump in. And unfortunately, if you do those kind of things and get hurt, your horse is just going to sit there longer while we deal with you going to the hospital. Yeah, your first instinct would be to pull the vehicle over, get out of the vehicle, and then immediately start checking on your horse. But in order to to serve your horse in the best way, you have to make sure you're safe there to be able to, to work and assess the situation. A little bit of Googling for the number of injuries and deaths on the side of the road for the workers that work in construction and the Department of Transportation is a sobering, scary situation. I bet. And then it's, uh, what about first aid kit? Uh, you know, what should be in every first aid kit? 
You know, what's interesting is I do tell people you should talk to your own veterinarian what should be in your kit. And the reason I say that is your veterinarian has a really good idea of how much you know. For example, most people are not actually going to ever put a splint on a horse. It's difficult to do. It takes a lot of extra equipment, which you don't need to purchase. But hey, your veterinarian may say, hey, this person's very reliable. They know how to do certain things. And they may say, hey, you need these particular things. And I'll even sell you the equipment or drugs that you need to have in that event that you have to call me. And I have to have that relationship with you as a veterinarian, right? To Mm -hmm. say, hey, I need to give this to that horse in this kind of situation. And some veterinarians will do that. Some veterinarians will not. But I just tell people, Go to your veterinarian. Let them make that decision of what they think needs to be in your equine first aid kit. You can pull the rest of it off the internet, but the specialty things that your veterinarian trusts you to be able to do or needs to teach you how to do um, are only going to be with your personal veterinarian. Got it. Now, we're in California, and uh, wildfires can be a big problem. And a number of times this year and last, people have had to quickly evacuate their horses and get them out of the area. Are there any special things that they should keep in mind? What I wish everybody could do is go to Australia and watch how their country deals with wildfires. They are far more proactive than we are, and their horse population is very trained in how to deal with evacuation. When I have been there in a, in a wildfire season, every horse person's property that I go to has a truck hitched to a trailer with fuel in the trailer buckets or resources for water and hay and feed everything is in the trailer the entire wildfire season they don't ever unhitch the truck because they know it can happen at 2 a.m it can be i mean like last year we watched those fires coming over into santa rosa's people had two to three minutes you don't have time to go hitch the trailer catch the horses load the horses those kind of things you need to be as ready as you possibly can grab your kids grab your dogs grab the horses, put them in the trailer, and go. And we've seen that time and time again. It's a level of preparation that we rarely see here in the United States. And I'm not really sure why. I think part of that is we just don't realize that it could happen to us. As people become more aware, and thank goodness for social media making more and more people aware, I think we're going to start to get that level of success. And if your emergency evacuation plan is put your horse on another person's trailer, you need to make sure their trailer is ready. Their trailer isn't sitting on blocks or hasn't had maintenance done because you're consigning your animal to not being prepared either. And when we train the emergency responders, we tell them, you know, especially if you're trying to load a strange horse, you know, you come along and the person's not there, but you realize this property's in danger. We tell them, The horse gets two minutes to get on the trailer. And if he doesn't get on the trailer in two minutes, he's done. Right. You mentioned water. How how much water should you carry with you? What FEMA will tell you is that you should have enough to take care of your animals and your family for a week. Used to be three days. If you think about that, if you're taking four horses with you and the average horse uses 10 to 15 gallons a day, you started adding up the math and that's a basically several 50 gallon drums of water. (laughs) That's going (laughs) to add a lot of tongue weight to your trailer for transport, but you should have a method. You should be 
already thinking, where am I going to take my horses? I What I have is I have a plan with, believe it or not, my ex-husband in South Carolina. If he has a wildfire or evacuation, you know, we live in Georgia, so we worry about hurricanes more than wildfires. He can bring his animals to my property, and I can bring my animals to his property if there's a problem. We already have that relationship. That's what I tell other people you should have. You should know somebody in another state where you can take your horses, drop them off, and deal with the disaster and your family and know that your animals have been taken care of. And that's not just your horses. It should be your dogs, your cats, etc. Do you have enough resources to be able to do that? So when you start thinking about the mathematics of it, for one horse, maybe not so much. But who has one horse? I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pyramid scheme, right? I mean, you it get is, one yeah. and then you got six. So, <laughs> And as you're talking about this, it's been a long time since I've been in uh, elementary school, but we used to have fire drills in school to get us ready for emergencies. Do you recommend trying yeah. to, to do one Absolutely. of those? Absolutely. That is a sobering thing. If you can get people to actually load animals and drive to a location and time it, that's what we try to get people to do. And you start realizing, man, it took me a lot longer to load my horses and get my stuff out of the house than I thought. And of course, that also applies to things like barn fires. Right. You don't have to have the firefighters there. You don't have to have, it's nice to have firefighters and fake smoke and do the kinds of things that we do in our training for large animal rescue, but you don't have to do that. Just start a timer and have a kid run down through the barn aisle, catch one horse, bring it back, put it in a paddock, Lock the gate because where's the horse going to go if you don't lock the gate? He's going to be right back in the barn and go back and get the next horse and have just one or two kids. It's fun for them, but it's a sobering thing for an adult to realize, oh, my God, it just took me 17 minutes to take all the horses out of my barn and put them safely in a paddock to get them away from the barn fire. Especially when I tell you that the average barn is fully involved within five to seven minutes. And that's assuming you were standing in the barn aisle. So that's the reason that we do these kinds of things is to convince people it's really about prevention. It's about the maintenance. It's about the, in the case of barn fires, your electrical safety. It's about having doing that walk of your property every single time there's a storm that comes through and making sure the fences aren't down and the trees aren't down and horses can't get loose on the road. And I try not to be a paranoid person, but after you see some of the things that can happen, you start going, man, I didn't know that horses could do that. Right. I got to tell you a quick story. When we were at last year's Best Horse Practices Summit, We had some friends taking care of our horses. Our horses are in uh, open pens. We've lived here for 35 years, have never had an evacuation notice or a fire anywhere nearby. We're surrounded by farmland. One of the fallow fields that had nothing but weeds (laughs) caught fire and the winds were 40 miles an hour. We're watching a Jim Thomas demonstration last year and I get a text on my phone that says, my neighborhood has a recommended evacuation notice. Wow. And I'll tell you, you just tend to pucker up a little bit when you're 2,000 miles away <sighs> and you get that notice that your horses, dogs, and cats might be in danger. Thankfully, I uh, left my, my uh, pickup truck keys on the kitchen counter. They're very easy to find. Our neighbor hooked up our trailer and had it staged and ready to go. She moved our horses to a a safer area a few blocks away, but it was a pretty scary moment, and it made me think a couple of times about 
course evacuation and what we would do in an emergency. So yes, this sir. is good information. Really just thinking through the process, what could happen. And I'm one of those people that says, what's the worst thing that could happen? And even, it doesn't even have to be something like a natural disaster. The sad thing for so many people that I see is their horse is sick, it colics, etc., and their next door neighbor, like you, tries to do the right thing for the animal. But then they right. e- maybe they even load it on the trailer and take it to the veterinarian or the vet school. And the veterinarian's like, um, well, we've got to make a decision here. This animal needs to go to surgery. And that person doesn't have a uh, power of attorney. They don't have right. any of the paperwork. And they're certainly not going to put a $7,000 surgery on their credit card, uh, not knowing if you're going to pass it back. So that's another level of preparation that I encourage people to have. The young man that takes care of my place has a credit card. He has a power of attorney. He's over 21 years old. My veterinarian has a copy of that power of attorney. And basically, when I'm out of the country, he has had to pick up horses. He's had to have horses euthanized while I've been out of the country over the years. And that's the way it is. And I trust this young man to make a good decision with the veterinarian present. And he has to do what he has to do. And that's that's a really hard thing for many, many people. They want to be emotionally involved in that. My attitude right. is I'm on the other side of the planet. I do not want my horse to suffer. And that is my directive to him. I do not want them to suffer. If they're going to suffer um, and I can't afford it um, and I have a dollar limit on this situation, I tell him right. that you and the veterinarian need to make a decision and you can act as me. And that's that's really hard for people. But when you watch an animal suffer, you you know that you don't want it to happen to yours. So just got to make that decision. That's a basic level of planning for all of your animals. Um, we often talk about what are you going to do if you die tomorrow, if you're in a car wreck, if you're in a plane wreck. I don't know if you, but I watch on Facebook and I see so many people that a person just died. Unfortunately, it's a law enforcement officer and line, died in the line of duty. And she's got two horses and she's got no other family members that want the horses. And they're actually trying to find homes for them right now. And that's right. a very sad situation. Very sad indeed. That's what I liked about the Best Horse Practices Summit is that it, there's a lot of practical information that comes from from this conference about horses and and my dog just sneezed. And <laughs> so there's a, how did you get involved with the Best Horse Practices Summit and what do you like most about it? I have known Maddie for probably 20 years and she's always been the person who is always asking questions. And uh, she and I over the years have, have bantered back and forth, not always agreed. And she has just been sort of a cutting edge kind of person. So I've been watching. I did not make it last year. Last year I was in Bulgaria. That was my excuse last year. Ooh, what fun. <laughs> Doing a class. And <laughs> I was watching what was going on with her and some of the um, videos that she took from the conference. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is great. I got to get to this. And then she asked me to come speak. So I was very excited. I'm sure that all the attendees will thoroughly enjoy your presentation. Well, I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for all the great information, too. Yes, sir. Thank you. That was a great interview, Maddie. So she has some really great information. And if people want to get to Durango for the Best Horse Practices Summit, what's their best way to do it? And is there still room? There is still room, although it is filling up daily. The easiest way is to go directly to our website, which 
is besthorsepracticessummit.org. Um, it's not to be confused with besthorsepracticess.com, which I also maintain, but the best way to register directly is to go to besthorsepracticessummit, all one word, .org. And there are links there to uh, lodging and to any other questions. We have electives to go to a wild horse observation field trip oh, and um, a couple other uh, bits. You can see our sponsors. Patagonia is our title sponsor that we're very excited to have them and their gear here in Durango and at the trade trade show. So um, we will be thrilled and you can always contact me directly through the, that website. Um, so find us on Facebook and Instagram also. One of the things that Brené and I enjoyed last year was that meals were included, so we didn't have to worry about going walking around and trying to find lunch. Thanks for mentioning that. The Strader has been a fabulous host for us. So we have coffee and tea in the morning to get us through those um, intense morning sessions, and then a, a to-go lunch is all set and packed for us. They are delicious, and then we have evening meals and hors d'oeuvres and whatnot as well. So they take good care of us. Not only is the Strader a wonderful hotel, that auditorium is so intimate and it feels like you're, the presenters are almost talking directly to you. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we had several options of uh, venues in Durango and you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly why we chose the Strader is for its coziness without, you know, not being cramped, but being cozy. And um, it really enables um, attendees and presenters to mix and mingle. And yeah, it's the best. Well, we hope you have a great summit this year, Maddie. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic event. Uh, I would encourage all my listeners to check out the Best Horse Practices Summit.org. Thank you so much. And thanks for being so supportive, John. Bye-bye. Bye. That'll do it for today's show. Special thanks to Maddie Butcher and Rebecca Jimena-Husted for joining us on the show and offering some really great information. I hope you'll strongly consider attending the Best Horse Practices Summit in Durango, Colorado this October. I'll have some of the details in the show notes and you can find links to the summit at wopodcast.com. As always, if you have a comment or suggestion about the Woe Podcast, you can email me at john at woepodcast.com. The Woe Podcast for me has been a labor of love. I've enjoyed learning more about horses, horsemanship, and the equine industry in general. I've talked to some really great people and had a lot of fun and experiences I wouldn't have had otherwise. Without you guys listening and sharing this podcast with your riding buddies, a lot of that would never have happened. It takes a good deal of time and effort to put together a Woe Podcast episode. And while the effort's there, sometimes the time isn't always. I'm not sure what the production schedule is going to be like for the future of the Woe Podcast, but I can guarantee you this. If I find a story that I'm passionate about, you know you'll hear it right here. So subscribe to the Woe Podcast, and every time I produce a new episode, you'll be sure to be notified. And remember, we've recorded over 200 episodes of the Woe Podcast. They're all on iTunes or at woepodcast.com. Once again, thanks for listening to our podcast about horses. 
for Renee. This is John Hare encouraging you to go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. I think there is an important concept in trying to improve at getting better at cowboy. <laughs>